fourth book of the Pentateuch, fourth book of the Bible. Before we start tonight, maybe we'll pray. Let's pray together before we open up the book of Numbers. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together tonight. Uh, it is a little colder, and it is uh, a little drizzly, a little dreary, and yet, Father, we thank you so much that we have your word, and that, uh, and that by your spirit, you have quickened us to life, and that we can see and hear and know that you are our God and that we are your people. And so, Lord, as we open up your revelation to us, uh, particularly in numbers tonight, help us to see what you would have for us. Help us to see that redemptive story and how Jesus is revealed uh, in the Old Testament, even in the book of Numbers. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, book of Numbers. I know y'all love it. Uh, how, how many of y'all do the, the, or have ever participated in the, the daily reading plans? You know, like uh, there's all kinds of different types, you know. Uh, well, how, how many of y'all, uh, while you're participating in such a wonderful endeavor, uh, like a daily reading plan, and made it to Numbers chapter 1, uh, the census of Israel's warriors? Uh, and, you know, you get there and you think, this is the time that I will make it through the census. And so you begin, and then you fall asleep or your mind wanders, and then you try again, and you fall asleep or your mind wanders, and then it's over, and you stop doing the daily reading plan because you were so defeated by the book of Numbers. No, I pray that that wasn't your experience. And yet, sometimes we can find ourselves uh, in certain parts of the Bible Particularly the, the, census, the census and numbers. Uh, the, numbers also has some kind of you know, some callings for the Levites and things like that that we can get lost in. Uh, but my goal for us tonight is that as we open up the book of Numbers together here with our handy dandy handouts, we can then move forward into an accessible book of the Bible, which is Numbers. It's really quite accessible. Uh, there's only going to be two, uh, uh, two kind of overarching things that if we, if we see them and we hold on to them, we can then really flow through uh, the entirety of the book in a, in a really wonderful way. Um, okay, I, can ch- I had that written there, the daily reading plan, so I didn't forget. I thought it was a good, uh, a good introduction to, to whet our appetite because I too have fallen into that uh, trap. So uh, I'm telling you that that we can have uh, an accessibility uh, to census and, and the calling. You see this in the you know, first approximately kind of 10-ish uh, chapters, really maybe a little less. But there's this, uh, th- this call in the very beginning uh, that, that we need to count the people. We need to see how many people. We need to see what the Levites are doing. We need to place them around the camp. Uh, we, we need to move forward in this way. Uh, it's a census and a calling is what, is what I kind of generally uh, uh, have here. Uh, and by the way, I'm not skipping over the, the context and the connection and things like that. It's all written here for you. You can read it at your convenience. Uh, it's, it's very good stuff. And, and you'll see at the end uh, the connection part in particular. Uh, the saints of God have drawn on the book of Numbers uh, uh, for thousands of years. Uh, and we see that in the New Testament moving all the way through. But uh, anyway, so we come to the, these first 10 chapters, and, and, and we can get lost in it sometimes, but 
But this is the first big part of it, and we can't get lost in it. And, and so perhaps uh, I, I might suggest a comparison that, that can help us. And I think it will help if we think about our own families. You know, uh, if I told you all the lineage, unless you're, a, unless you're a family tree buff, you know, you really like to hear people's ins and outs of their families, you might get bored after a while. But, but I don't, because I love my family, and I love to talk about my family. I love Rebecca's side. I love my side. I love to trace it back. I love all the stories that go along with my family. I love all the stories that go along with Rebecca's, because that's our family. We can talk about it. We can see who we're related to. We can see how those things work through uh, in the lives uh, uh, of the many generations of our people. You probably have very similar thoughts about your own family. At least you can recall them. Maybe you get bored by your own family, but, but there's at least a sense of familiarity, a sense of love and depth that you have as you think about that. We need to think about that with the census here. It'll really help us. Uh, it might not help us uh, try to read it word for word in our daily reading plans. If we try to read all 10 chapters at once, you know, we still might, in our sinful selves, feel a little bored or our mind might wander. And yet, if we can reorient a little bit, and if we can recognize that what's happening here is a listing of our ancestors, our spiritual family, as it were, God's people. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are one of God's children. Uh, These people relying on God, even in the greatest of sins, were God's people. And so as we look and we see in the first part of Numbers and we see the arrangement of the camp and we wonder why in the world do we need to know that the Korathites were over here carrying the lamps and that the, you know, the, uh, the Gershonites were over here and they were carrying the poles. Well, if we recognize that there is, there is a listing and a calling for all of God's people here and now, we start to realize that God is revealing something wonderful in all these lists and all these census, censuses, whatever it might be, the many, the many censuses. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm feeling a little wacky tonight. Uh, but, you know, wherever you might see it, you see all these listings of people uh, and you see all these, these callings, right? Each and every person that you see in the first chapters of this book had a particular job and a particular time in the family of God, and they were able to fulfill it and in doing so bring glory to God. It's a wonderful moment for us, and if we keep that thought in mind, it helps us as we work through some of these names. You know, I love Zebulun with the best of them, but man, who are Zebulun's people? Think about it like it's your family, and then think about it like... Uh, like God is calling you in your time to a particular thing. And as we, as we start to work through who God's people are and how we are connected to God's people throughout the years by God's spirit, and as we recognize that we too have very particular jobs at Centennial for us, and as we move forward together, it would probably look a lot like this, the first couple chapters of Numbers, if we started listing every person's name and what we did at Centennial maybe on a day-to-day basis. You've got deacons, you've got elders, you've got the women of the church, you've got Bible studies, you've got Sunday schools, you've got youth, 
that are even meeting right now. There are songs to be sung. There are choir directors, and there are children singing songs, and there are bells, and there are preachers who are preaching God's word. There are prayers that are happening. There are people in the front office. There are people doing the yard work. There are people taking out the trash. There are people doing so many things on a day-to-day basis at the church, and all of y'all can think about what you're doing and how y'all are participating and it would look a lot like these first chapters. It's, it's a moment where if we begin to recognize and, and, and look past uh, per, perhaps uh, our own boredom or something, wondering what in the world, why should we care about this? We should care about it because it's God's people. And God has called them to something very particular. And he has done the same for us. It, it's a wonderful uh, reorientation. We were just talking about you and how you can serve the church mightily, Hunter. So I'm glad you came. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> seriously, we were talking about that. Uh, not particularly about you. But be praying about it, okay? <laughs> um, I don't call out people, but when I do. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Uh, I think that's enough about those first chapters. You know, I, they're, they're, in the Bible, you find a few of these. The genealogies, censuses. Uh, callings, you know, in the law where, where different things are happening. And, and don't, just, don't just skip over it rotely. Uh, at the same time, don't, don't get discouraged in trying to read it word for word. Recognize what's happening within God's word. See the themes and see how it rolls through. In your daily readings, it's okay if the same sentence is being repeated with 40 different names to see what's happening and perhaps look through some of those names and and not get so bogged down and start to shame yourself because you can't read it word for word over and over and over without maybe getting bored or something like that. Uh, uh, Recognize what's happening, and as you recognize the overarching theme, it'll help you move through these parts of Scripture profitably uh, by God's grace, by his spirit. Okay, that's the first thing. It's a big part because we get, we get drenched in the first part. The numbers, that's what the book is named after, uh, uh, after all. There's numbers. There's so many of them, right? Well, that's all that there is. Not at all. Uh, there's actually so much more in the book of numbers. Uh, it, it, it's perhaps a misnomer for it to be called numbers because they're there are a lot of other things happening, and that's, that's kind of where we need to go. And, and, and first, perhaps, maybe we need to hit the overarching story. Where are we? Where are we? This is the fourth book of the Pentateuch, the Torah, uh, the five books to begin, typically attributed to Moses, uh, maybe a few kind of biograph- biographical additions by Joshua, most conservative scholars believe. We see that a little bit in Numbers. Uh, for instance, the part where... Uh, he calls a writer calls Moses the meekest man on earth. You know, you think about the meekest man on earth writing that he is the meekest man on earth. It might not add up, uh, and and so it's okay for us to recognize that that perhaps Joshua uh, made a few biographical additions uh, to that which uh, Moses was recording, kind of at large, uh, which is God's law and God's revelation and God's story up until then. Sometimes you'll hear that. Uh, when you hear people talking about the, uh, the authorship uh, of numbers. But, but where are we? Well, in Genesis, we saw all the beginning stuff, literally. The world was created. 
Uh, we saw the fall. We saw these huge kind of meta-narrative things. And we saw God's promise to Abraham begin to bloom. We saw all the children of Abraham form into a nation. And we saw that nation go down to Egypt. And that's where Exodus starts. And then in Exodus, we see God's people in slavery. And we see that they're crying out for a deliverer. And we see God deliver them. How beautiful. And as they're leaving and they're going, well, God descends and lives with them. But they need to know how that's going to work. How in the world can a holy God live with an unholy people? And so we see Leviticus, the ceremonial law, the laws given to them, this exact specification of how God is going to live with them. And they see it and they praise God for it. But Leviticus is like a pause in the story. It all happens at once, really. There's no continuing in the chronology of things. And yet when we come to Numbers, it's really like part two of Exodus. It, It picks up right where we saw at the end, the Lord descending, the tabernacle's here. Now what do we do? We go forth from Sinai, from the mountain. And so that's where we begin in Numbers. And this is also where we see God's people struggle with their unfaithfulness, idolatry, and sin. The biggest one, uh, we see it all throughout, and we'll address it here in a moment. The biggest one, though, uh, being the spies who went into Canaan. That's the promised land that God uh, uh, promised Abraham in Genesis. It's finally happening. They're on the edge. God's people made it through the wilderness in record time, actually. It doesn't take very long, uh, which is a little frightening uh, to see the uh, the path that Lord, uh, the Lord had for his people after that. But uh, they make it to the edge of the promised land. The spies go forth into Canaan, 40 of them. They go and they see that there are giants living in this land. Uh, it's, uh, it's very bountiful, giant grapes as well. It's like you eat a grape like an apple. They're so big, the bunches they had to carry on their shoulders. They were so heavy and giant. And they come back and uh, the people didn't really look at the bountiful harvest. They heard about the giants. They heard about the warriors. They doubted God. It's very clear. Uh, there, there was no accidental doubting. This was purposeful doubting. This was sinful doubting. And in that sin, God disciplined them and caused them to wander in the wilderness for not one, two, or three, but 40 years. And so this is, this is where we find that. It's numbers. You know, the, the traveling through the wilderness uh, for 40 years is here. It's in 13 and 14. Uh, we, can, we can go there just quickly to look at it. Uh, uh, the spies are sent into Canaan in chapter 13. Uh, we see them in verse 23. You see what I was talking about. They came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. And then they report, and we get into 14, and the people rebel. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Uh, they, they totally doubted and did away with their faith in God. They were struggling with serious unfaithfulness, idolatry, and sin. This grumbling motif plays itself out 
uh, in uh, a lot of different places. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 2, we see the first example. All the people, uh, first formal example, all the people of Israel grumbled. Uh, But if you look on your handout, we won't flip to all of them. Trust me, they're grumbling. Uh, But uh, if you look at this handout on the back, uh, the, the solid rock verses, Numbers 14, 2, 27, 29, 33, chapters 11, 1, chapter 16, verse 41. The people are grumbling time and time again, and they're going against what God has called them to. And because of that, God is chastising them. He's disciplining them. He's not giving them over. He's not turning his back. But he is trying to help his people see uh, that they are called to a life of faithfulness unto God, unto him. Uh, And without that, there will be no blessing. Uh, They have been called to something uh, and, and, and in their sin, they are recognizing that God is beginning to discipline. Obviously, the biggest one and the biggest reminder is the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and the inability for them, the parents, to go into the promised land. They had to die before their children could go in. And we see that um, on the front page on our solid rock verses. This is the big theme. We see it in 13 and 14, the beginning. We flip all the way to chapter 26. This is the big theme, the, the, the uh, unfaithfulness of God's people as they were coming into Canaan, uh, the causing of wilderness by God to discipline his people, the death of the generation, uh, and yet the faithfulness to many generations because God did not turn his back on his people. So we see chapter 26, verses 63 through 65. This is kind of the big theme, and they're, they're here again. Uh, this is the census of the new generation There was a census of the old. There's a census of the new now. The children uh, are now here before Moses. We see verse 63. These were those listed by Moses and Eleazar the priest. Uh, Aaron had died at this point. Who listed the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. In other words, right on the cusp of the promised land again. uh, the, The Jordan is the line. Over it is the promised land, all right? Jericho is the first city that you would come to. Uh, You see that in the book of Joshua. Uh, uh, Verse 64, among these, there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. In other words, at the beginning of the journey, every single parent had died. That was the discipline. That was the chastisement. And yet God remains faithful throughout the entire story of Numbers. And we'll see that as we, as we continue forward. But, but it's very important as we see this big theme uh, uh, that, that this was what God's discipline was and their unfaithfulness. They were unable to see that which uh, they could see, it, but they couldn't step on it. Uh, God's promised land. Uh, that was for their children. Uh, for the Lord said to them, of course, verse 65, that's what I just said. They shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the only ones who were faithful to God when they came back. Uh, Those were two spies. In a good way, though, spies for the good team. (laughs) That was kind of a joke. Um, So that's the big picture. This wandering in the wilderness... uh, God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people. Uh, and that's what we'll kind of get into now is that faithfulness of God, even in the midst of, of the people's rebellion. And, and we see this rebellion play out in microcosms throughout the whole story. And yet God remains faithful. And this is the second thing 
This is the second important thing that will help us access numbers, all right? So the first thing was the censuses and the callings and to recognize the actual goodness that we see within those things, uh, that we can actually see uh, God's faithfulness. We can see Jesus Christ uh, and his church at play in those censuses and those callings. This is the second thing. And it, it, I, I don't know what a good name for it is, so it's kind of a boring name, but it's the cycle between narrative and law. You know, Numbers does this very unique and interesting thing, and it will help you understand as you move through it in its entirety why it is the way it is. Uh, it, it's, it's not like Exodus where you get a story from 1 to 19, and you see in that story from 1 to 19 that God is working. It's a narrative. Moses and the burning bush, the, uh, the ten plagues. Uh, there's this conversation between Moses and Pharaoh. Aaron's there. Oh, you know, it's very intense. The Passover is happening. The angel of death. They're crossing over the, you know, the Red Sea. It's all narrative. And then the Ten Commandments. And then the law. And then there's this very uh, specific and delineated uh, moment where you have narrative and then law. Two very distinct genres. And you can tell immediately when it changes. And you're like, okay, we're talking about the law now. You know, it, it's, it's very delineated. Uh, Leviticus, no narrative, only law. Genesis, all narrative. Well, in the book of Numbers, you have a combination, a cycle between narrative and law. Here's an example of it. It'll, it'll help you see it if we look at it. Uh, numbers chapter 16. Let's go here. This is, it happens all throughout. This is just an example of the cycle between narrative and law. And what I mean by that is that something happens and a need arises. What do we do? And God reveals what you do in the law. And then something else happens. What do we do? Well, God revealed what you do in the law. Well, something else happens. And it continues. It's a cycle. So we see in chapter 16, Korah's rebellion. Most uh, most Christians are familiar at least a little bit with Korah's rebellion. Uh, uh, some individuals, uh, along with kind of gaining some followers, uh, incited a literal rebellion. And God quenched that rebellion by swallowing them alive. Uh, the, the ground opened up and swallowed them alive. And, and so uh, all of a sudden, we see this, uh, and, and the reason why, uh, the reason why that they, the ground opened up and swallowed them is that, is that they thought everyone should be priests, not just Moses and Aaron in the Levitical order, the Levites, if y'all have heard that word before, Levites. Uh, and, and so as the ground opens and, and Korah is swallowed, they think, what in the world? Why did that happen? And then in Numbers chapter 17, if you look just at the, uh, most of your Bibles have a summary, Aaron's staff buds. You know, what What's happening here? Well, Aaron is being shown to be the one uh, that, that is the priestly order. He's the high priest. He's over the Levites, and they are the ones to come into the tabernacle. No one else. We see at the end of chapter 17 this verse. Behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? What do we do? There's the first part of the cycle, narrative. What happens next? Chapters 18 and 19, we get the duties of the priests and the Levites. If you just look at the, at the little summary, uh, you know, there was a rebellion because they wanted to be priests. All right? God quelled the rebellion. 
And then all of a sudden there is law speaking to the duties of the priests and the Levites. Uh, he's, he's answering a need with his own revelation for his people. Remember, they're already in the wilderness. They're already doing their 40-year trek. And so God is revealing these things to them to help them continue forward. And, and then what happens in chapter 19? I'm just using the summaries at the top. You can read them on your own. Chapter 19, laws for purification. Why in the world would we need laws for purification? Well, when you go to chapter 20, what's the very first summary? The death of Miriam. What happens there as well? The death of Aaron. We saw in the book of Leviticus that death brings uncleanness. And so we need to know how to stay pure as things like this begin to happen, as death begins to become more prevalent. Children are burying their parents at this point. They have been in the wilderness for a while. They need to know how to stay pure. That's just one example. You see, the, you see the cycle of narrative happening and then law giving. And then narrative happening and then law given again. Uh, it continues forward. And, and as, we, as we hold on to this and we wonder, why are these laws placed where they are? It's because God is answering a, a very particular and specific need in, in the actual lives of his people. This is the, this is the, the, these are the two, really there's only two, it's just these two things that, that can help us dive into number, numbers in an accessible way. It, it's, it's really that simple. Uh, there's a lot of great stories within here, and then there are these confusing laws, and there are these censuses, and there are these callings and these instructions, but, but as we recognize that there's a cycle happening, that, that God is answering particular needs within the story, it makes total sense. And as we see that we can actually own, as it were, the, the census and the calling and the instructions and see that, that this is really applicable to our lives, we actually do this very thing, numbers isn't so intimidating. It's just those two things. Uh, I'll, I'll end maybe just with a few kind of important verses, ones that we don't need to miss. You know, we, we were looking overarching. How, you know, my goal with this Bible study has always been, how can I help y'all get in there <laughs> to open it up and not feel so overwhelmed? You know, I love the book of Numbers. I want y'all to love the book of Numbers and to not think of it in a negative light, but to think of it in a positive one. So with those two overarching themes, we see that we can get in and we can at least begin to get into it. Uh, and yet, we don't need to miss some of the larger uh, and, and kind of maybe, uh, well, solid rock verses, those that have ripple effects into the rest of Scripture. Uh, and we see one in Numbers 21, the bronze serpent, uh, verses 4 through 9, what happened. They set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around Edom. The people became impatient. Ah, there's another moment of grumbling. Uh, they became impatient uh, there as they're on their way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? It's a moment of weakness. It's a moment of weakness for there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. That is the manna that God has been giving them every single day. It's a moment of weakness where they're walking in their lives. You could say, and I think you can say it very boldly and very candidly, they're, they're walking in their Christian lives. 
<laughs> These are Christians. Uh, they believe in God, and they believe that God will preserve them. And yet in their weakness and their sin, uh, they have been chastised and disciplined. And even as they're being chastised and disciplined, of course, they sin again. We do the same thing. Yet these are God's people. They follow God. And so what does God do? Well, he chastises them again. As they, as they are complaining, fiery serpents come and begin to bite them. And those bites lead to death. What are they to do? They cry out to God. And what does God do? He delivers them. He puts a bronze snake, a cast iron bronze, or cast, I think, it's not, I, I, almost, let my, uh, I almost let my scholar show a little bit. Uh, it, it might not have been bronze, but it was a metal image of a, of a snake lifted up on a pole. And if they were to look at it, they were to be saved. You could get bit by the snake, look at it, and if you believed in God, you said, deliver me, and you look at this snake, you were delivered by God. Uh, this is very important because of John. Uh, the writer of John, he, he, uh, the, John the Apostle, is writing and, and remembers Jesus saying something about this bronze snake. Uh, it's in John 3. Flip with me there, actually. It's, it's important enough that we look at it. Uh, John chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke. John uh, in the New Testament. This is the born again narrative. Nicodemus comes to him at night and says, what do I do? Uh, you're a teacher. What do we do? And Jesus says, you need to be born again. Nicodemus, of course, what does he say? Well, I'm an old man. I, what do you mean? Be born again for my mother? What are you talking about? And Jesus goes on to speak of the Holy Spirit. But then he says something very interesting that, that should blow us all away. Uh, verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, the, the, one of the most popular gospel proclamations in the scriptures that, that God's people in our centuries, right? The 20th and the 21st. All right, I don't think there's any 19ths in here. Uh, <laughs> that was a joke, too. Uh, but in our centuries, you know, it's, it hasn't always been this way, but in our centuries, the 20th and the 21st, we love John 3.16. It is a wonderful representation of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But Jesus qualifies and contextualizes it with Numbers chapter 21. <laughs> That's what he goes to. That's what he was thinking of. He was thinking of Numbers 21. That the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's Jesus Christ. That, that's a shadow and a full and, and clear, visible representation of the reality of the good news of Jesus. Jesus himself went there. He went to Numbers. 
Um, we see that elsewhere as well. Uh, but, but it's very important. Uh, there are some scholars and some uh, uh, theologians and, and pastors who say that this is the theme of all of Numbers, the bronze serpent. Look at the serpent and be saved. You sin, duh. Look at the serpent and be saved. They say that's what Numbers is about, the bronze serpent, Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, the bronze serpent, the medical seal, right? Um, uh, it's, uh, that's what that is, the, the snake. Everyone, you ever wonder, you see that thing, you're like, what in the world is that snake doing? Uh, it, I don't want to see a snake when I go to the doctor. It's this. They're pulling off of this. They're riffing off of our imagery. Uh, can you believe it? I can. I can. Uh, okay, uh, let's really quickly, I'll reference this. We don't have time to talk about it. We can if we finish and you all want to ask a question. Uh, oh, the old prophet uh, Balaam. The old prophet Balaam. You know, he, he, the donkey speaks. You know, uh, the donkey speaks and rebukes him. Uh, he, he also prophesies. Uh, he was supposed to prophesy against God's people, but he ends up prophesying for God's people. It can be summed up in a, in a very, uh, very popular verse. Um, let's see if I can find it. I think I have it on the, it's on, the, on, the, on your uh, solid rock verses. If you go to Numbers 22 and 24, uh, I can't remember particularly where it's at. Here it is, Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Uh, you know, the wise men from the east, the magi, that's what they were looking at as they were looking for Jesus coming in uh, to Jerusalem first and then, of course, summoning the, the people and saying, hey, where's this Jesus supposed to be born? Where's the Christ supposed to be? Uh, this was the impetus. They saw a star in the sky and they said, I remember something about this from somewhere. And they're searching all of these different documents and these magi of all people. God leads them directly to Jesus Christ. Uh, the star. That's, it's a very popular text because of that. But this comes out of the mouth of a non-believer. Uh, he's a prophet of the Lord, but, uh, but very clearly kind of against God's people and against God. Uh, it, it just shows the power of God and the power to quench false teachers and false prophets and to move his will forward, even in enemy territory. Uh, Peter himself, if y'all knew this, uh, if y'all have been coming on Sunday morning, uh, you will know this. Uh, we won't be preach I won't be preaching on it uh, this Sunday, but next Sunday, uh, we'll see Balaam again. Peter actually uses him as an example. He goes to Numbers 24 as an example uh, for the quenching and God's power to, to prevent false teaching and, and false prophets and to, to prevent their success. Even when in the world's eye, we can look at them and think they are very successful. No, they are not. It is all within the gods and God's plan, and he is working and willing uh, on our behalf and for his people. We see that with Balaam. All right, let's finish with this. Uh, some very important women in Numbers. Uh, women don't make a whole lot of appearances in the Old Testament. Uh, that's because women, uh, no one really cared about them then. And yet the scriptures, our Old Testament scriptures in particular, but also the New Testament, we see it in all the Gospels, uh, they have an eye for women. This in and of itself is a great surprise. It would have surprised anyone reading this.
before our centuries. Speaking of our centuries, uh, this was progressive, to say the least. Uh, maybe I should leave it at that, but uh, it really is. Uh, you know, no, no one would be writing about women at this time unless it was in a highly uh, uh, sexualized manner, uh, unless it was, it was something very demeaning or, or something like that. Uh, and so to see, to see women in Scripture, you know, we think of Ruth and we think of Esther, uh, we think of, you know, uh, Deborah. We think of all these kind of powerful women. Well, I think of the daughters of Zelophehad. That's who I think of. Uh, Numbers 27. We'll end here. Uh, Numbers 27. The daughters of Zelophehad. Uh, maybe it's important, too, before I start talking about them. It's always, always vital when we're reading Scripture to see how it begins, a book and to see how it ends. That's why I started with Genesis, ended with Revelation, remember? And then we kind of jumped in the middle, and now we're going through. Here in Numbers, how does it end? It ends with the daughters of Zelophehad. It ends with some women, five daughters. Uh, why? Numbers 27, verses 1 through 4. This is their concern. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh and the son of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Mahlah, Noah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Terzah. I'm expecting some of y'all to name, uh, force your children, or, you know, I tried to get, uh, if, if we had a, a little girl, you know, I was really hoping for Hoglah, but uh, I guess Isaac will have to do. Y'all don't hold me to that <laughs> Uh, uh, this is verse 2. And they stood before Moses and before Eliezer the priest and before the chiefs and all the congregation. Think about this. These are women standing before the mightiest and most respected men of the time in their nation. This is highly radical. Uh, this, is, this is not the 21st century uh, where we, are, we assume women to have these rights. Women did not have these rights. At this time. And yet in God's nation they do. Verse 3. This is what they said. This is before, this is before everybody. Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. In other words, what they're saying is, listen, he died because he rebelled just like everybody else did when you chastised and disciplined them, and we had to go on this whole journey, all right? These are the daughters, and they're saying, hey, he sinned, but he didn't go against God. He wasn't a non-believer. He wasn't swallowed up in retribution. He didn't have a, a sin of the high hand, is what it would be uh, called in, in Numbers. We see that elsewhere. Verse 4, why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son. Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. What in the world's going on? Well, at this time, the law specified how you are to continue to gain your land. How does it stay in the family name? It stays by the bloodline of the sons, the male heir. All right? Well, they're saying, listen, he had no sons. He had five daughters. What do we do? That's not right. This is God's response. Verses 5 through 7. Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. 
Now, we go to Numbers 36. So they kind of disappear for a while. Some other things are spoken of, some boundaries of the land, uh, feast weeks, all kinds of different laws and things like that. And then all of a sudden, the very last chapter, it comes up again, and it begins to be spoken of. And we see in verse 12, uh, the, the penultimate verse of the book of Numbers, this is the, uh, we'll start with verse 10. The daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses. For Malah, Terzah, Haglah, Milcon, Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad were married to sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the clans of the people of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's clan. It was fulfilled. The inheritance remained. It, it, that single sentence, the inheritance remained. That reality that God's people, as they are coming into the promised land, were coming for something. And it was a, it was a fulfillment and a holding on to of God's promise. God had promised Abraham so many years ago that his people, his, his progeny, would have the land of milk and honey. They are now there. They are, they are seizing the land. They have taken some on this side of the Jordan. They're about to go over in great conquest with Joshua, the mightiest general of the time, at their head. And where does Numbers end? It ends on the most important thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because their inheritance remained. And the inheritance that we have in Jesus, what is it? It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It can't be eaten away by moths. Our treasure is in heaven. Nothing worldly can take it away. Their inheritance remained. Male, female, doesn't matter. Their inheritance remained. Numbers emphasizes that at the very end. Uh, the story will continue as we hit Deuteronomy, but this is where it ends. The inheritance remained. Great sin was seen, great discipline from God, and yet, at the very end, the inheritance remained. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have an inheritance. Uh, we're not just slaves. We're sons and daughters, and you see us as such. Lord, we thank you so much that by the merits of Jesus Christ, as we, as we have faith in him, as we look to him, uh, that, that he is even the author and finisher of our faith, that, that he continues us forward, and that even as we are disciplined by you, even as there are consequences for our sin, uh, Father, that even then you still remain faithful and you still reveal yourself to us. You don't cut us off, for we are your people and our inheritance remains in you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Numbers. In Jesus' name, amen.